listeners, thanks for tuning in. It's Morgan from H Industries, and today we're going to read through the third version of the white paper. This third version has been submitted to the Journal of Electric Propulsion, in which I read two great retrospectives of the history and careers of two electropropulsionists. I'm going to roll with that. Uh, from NASA's JPL. So today, I'd like to read to you the concept analysis of a distributed thrust system, a novel inductive propulsion method using high-energy pulse solenoids in satellite swarms for reusable interorbital freight transport. Now, I'll go through each subheading and then do a read-through, and I encourage you to have a flick through the actual paper, which is available as a preprint on the Journal of Electric Propulsion, and that will have all the equations that you need to reference back to, and a whole lot of extra reading for those who are interested. So without further ado, abstract. Today, only single vehicle thrust designs have been considered for propulsion in space. However, there is no limitation preventing multi-vehicle distributed thrust application designs if a rigid structure of energy relationships can be constructed using high-energy pulses. By considering the regularity of planetary orbits and distance between orbital paths, a location in space can be targeted for next orbit arrival of a shipping container propelled on an intercepting vector that is a result of inductive propulsion vector combination. This concept is achieved with NB3SN high-energy pulse solenoids that enable a square pyramidal swarm of satellites to decompose the intercepting orbital transfer vector and propel a 20-ton reinforced steel shipping container. This paper is a thought experiment with first-pass mechanical analysis that concludes that the proposed yoked solenoid design is fit for purpose. Several factors are noted as key variances that must be investigated in further research using numerical modeling tools. Introduction. This paper is an explanation of a novel propulsion method for transporting freight cargo in orbit. The novel method is explained, the components detailed, then the mechanics explored. A variety of textbook and journal references from several fields are presented to cover the multifaceted concept and provide a sound basis of research to support the idea. This paper is the first publication of this novel propulsion method and covers the concept's foundations analytically to determine if further investigation is warranted. The system presented is designed from existing materials and components. It is the application of them which is novel. To date, only single vehicle thrust systems have been proposed for space travel. Rockets may have multiple thrusters, but are always constructed as a single vehicle. It is proposed now that a dense swarm of satellites can act as a distributed thrust application system using vector combination. High-strength electromagnetic fields will be used as structural components and for the application of thrust to a stationary shipping container, with multiple small thrust vectors combining to a resultant interorbital transit vector. This concept is termed multi-vector additive propulsion system, or MAPS. MAPS is designed for propelling high-mass cargo on slow transfer vectors between any two orbital locations. This method is not applicable to atmospheric travel or live human transport. The following sections work through the MAPS concept, breaking down the foundational ideas to determine a holistic algorithm of equations to find the force output of the design, 
A literature review of key aspects of superconductive pulse magnets is covered, then the answer to the goal equations are sought from a proposed design using electromagnetic mechanics. This is expressed by the goal statement. If the force required is exceeded by the force generated, and this force is less than the material limits of the design while being distributed effectively, then the novel propulsion method is valid. The MAP's conceptual validity algorithm seen in equation 1 summarizes this statement. Due to the novel multi-vehicle aspect of the propulsion method, several problems will be shown in the mechanics that must be addressed using numerical methods. However, an initial result must be found first to address the validity algorithm before further analysis can be considered. So what is a multi-vector additive propulsion system? The multi-vector additive propulsion system is a satellite swarm arranged as a square pyramid with a cargo container at its apex. The pyramid is layers of square grids of increasing size, with the first layer being 2x2 satellites, the next being 3x3 and so on. Each satellite is comprised of solar paneled wings, large capacitor banks, and a high-energy pulse solenoid. Each satellite has a small rocket thruster in the base, and a primary Z-plane pulse solenoid with smaller XY-plane positioning pulse solenoids. These components allow each satellite to move within the swarm, perform multiple roles, and magnetically link together to form rigid structures in all three planes. During an acceleration or deceleration sequence, each satellite links to its neighbours in the layer using the XY tethers. This allows each layer in the swarm to act as a singular object, moving like the coils of a spring to impart or absorb energy. Holistically, this system is a wide-area maglev platform that acts either as a fulcrum or an electromagnetic spring. In the fulcrum model, the top layer must apply the largest thrust and use the lower layers to balance the inertia. In the spring scenario, the base layer must propel each higher layer upwards. MAP swarms will propel cargo outwards from a fixed orbital position in the direction of the sum of vectors to cross the distance between the orbital paths in time to intercept the destination on its next orbital pass. As the cargo approaches the destination, the receiving swarm will decelerate the container and compress the swarm to its original orbital position ready for the next container acceleration sequence. A rocket's constant acceleration than rapid deceleration near arrival is a much faster method of transport. However, the goal is cost and energy efficient regular transport of high volume, high mass cargo, i.e. construction materials and machinery. MAP's one-time application of thrust to cargo for an unpowered journey will result in a longer trip time, but lower energy cost giving a lower cost per kilogram. This solar-powered, reusable, and purpose-built propulsion system aims to lower the cost of inter-orbital freight shipping by establishing regular shipping corridors. This paper will now work through the geometry, components, operation, and material limits to confirm multi-vector additive propulsion system swarms are feasible for slow, low-cost, high-mass freight cargo transport. Next orbit arrival. The first step of analysis is to determine the distance the cargo must travel and the time in which it has to do so. Mars has an average orbital period of 687 days, or 59.36 times 10 to the 6 seconds, 
at an average distance of 225 million kilometers, or 225 times 10 to the 6 times 10 to the 3 meters. From the average orbital distance and speed, a first pass figure for a direct path transfer vector can be calculated. The many considerations of reality, such as curvature, perturbation, and the variance between minimum and maximum distances are set aside for now, and the problem is considered geometrically in ideal conditions. Focusing on the objective, if an object can traverse the distance between Earth and Mars in the time it takes Mars to complete a full orbit and return to the same location, then the system can effectively target the same point in space today for arrival in 687 days or a multiple thereof. Next orbit arrival targeting is the basis of the low speed and high mass freight transport system proposed. Launching a shipping container from an orbital platform on a perpendicular vector to the platform's orbital path using the addition of multiple propulsion vectors is a challenging interaction, but it can be reduced to linear projectile motion at first. The speed required will be discussed in terms of g to give an easy reference value for later calculations. This helps translate between goal speed and propulsion application time on the transfer vector. The electromagnetic pulse length and effective range determines the time that force is applied to the container, and the goal speed of next orbit arrival, or a multiple thereof, is converted back to an acceleration value. From the Earth to Mars orbital averages above, the next orbit arrival in G is then found for one second of force application in equations 2 and 3. The gravitational standard is 9.81 meters per second squared, taken as 9.81 meters per second in terms of g-speed. So to find the next orbit arrival in g-speed, you're looking at interorbital distance divided by the goal orbital period divided by g-speed times the time applied. As can be seen in equation 3, the result of this is 393.25 g, or 3858 meters per second. The force application of one second is a dummy value which must be substituted for an accurate one, however it clearly set the goal requirements. Considering the 3858 meters per second result, a one second pulse application is not possible as the cargo will be almost four kilometers from the electromagnetic field's area of effect when the pulse finishes. Doubling the orbital passes and halving the application time window will bring the result closer to reality and this must be done several times. The cargo could take two orbits, or 3.76 years, with the applied acceleration time of half a second, though a quarter second pulse time and fourth orbit arrival at 7.5 years is much more likely. Numerical modeling is necessary to determine the pulsed electromagnetic field range, application time, and force output required to validate successful next orbit arrival. For first-pass calculations and concept analysis, a fourth orbit arrival and 0.25 second acceleration window is accepted for now. Due to the container's travel distance during the pulse and the rapid drop-off of an electromagnetic field's effects, it is evident that the shortest feasible pulse with the highest energy is necessary. Particle accelerator pulse magnets, also known as kicker magnets, are superconductive solenoids designed for identical requirements. Niobium tin and copper magnets can achieve 100T field pulses in fractions of a second, 
and are sustainable for 10,000 to 200,000 pulses across their lifetime. They are rapidly activated as a particle beam approaches, and the applied field pushes the beam onto a different path, allowing it to continue around the curve or exit an accelerator. The 0.25 second pulse time is well within the limits of existing designs and may be feasible as the force application is divided between the 2 by 2 square of satellites in the top layer. As can be seen in equation 5, this gives a result of 98.31 g per satellite in applied acceleration. The goal speed that must be achieved for a successful cargo transfer by the map swarm defines part of the force required from each satellite's magnet. The second component of the force required is the goal cargo mass. A feasible cargo mass will now be found to determine force required from equation 1, then the proposed system's force generated can be assessed once the literature, design and mechanics are explored. The swarm satellite decomposition, force action reaction relationship, and the material effects are then assessed for concept validation. The 7.5 year long delivery time is only feasible if the cargo is high mass and high value to future astronauts. This design is ideally suited to heavy industrial objects like excavation machinery and bulk construction materials that are acceleration resistant while rockets are used for people and time critical supplies. Inertial mechanics. Inertia is an object's resistance to movement or change of state. It is the inertial mechanics of this novel distributed propulsion method that challenge the established single vehicle thinking. Small, low-mass satellites individually pushing against a large cargo mass would be propelled away due to their lower inertia, being unable to overcome the cargo mass's much higher inertia. Tethered together in layers on the XY plane as singular structures, the combined inertia of many satellites can equal or exceed the cargo's inertia, achieving thrust. Thrust can be applied in two ways, based on which layer defines the cargo mass and thus inertia. In the fulcrum model, the top layer defines the cargo mass. The inertia of the top layer is balanced against that of the cargo, with lower layers acting as a distributed force absorption structure or large inertial braking system. In the fulcrum model, the cargo mass is defined by equation 6, with the sum of L1 mass being equal to cargo mass. In the spring model, it is the base layer that determines the cargo mass, as the base layer's inertia equalizes that of the inertial sum above. Considering the number of satellites in each successive layer, until the base layer squared size eclipsing the sum of all previous squares stops. At the final layer before combined mass is exceeded by summed mass, the cargo mass is a multiple of satellite masses defined by the difference between results. As can be seen in equation 7 and A, layer 3 is the last layer where the satellite count eclipses the sum of all higher layers combined. The difference between results then gives the cargo capacity for an inertially balanced system. In the spring model, this results in cargo mass being equal to two satellites mass, and in the fulcrum model, this results in the cargo mass being equal to four satellites mass. The fulcrum model is selected as the optimal method of propulsion due to the higher mass result. However, this requires a higher force generation capability in each satellite, as it is only the top layer which applies force. This result is accepted for concept analysis, though requires numerical modeling to validate and confirm. Due to the fourth orbit arrival time of 7.5 years, it is prudent to consider a large cargo mass. 
the objective of moving a standard shipping container on an interorbital transfer vector gives an easy reference point for net weight and footprint that satellites must support. Small shipping container sizes are from 15,600 kilo gross capacity up to 24,000 kilo, so the average value of 20 ton will now be used. Given the goal mass and the higher capacity of the fulcrum model, the satellite mass design goal is defined in equation 10, with each satellite resulting in approximately 5,000 kilo. Large satellites are required to offset the inertia of a 20-ton shipping container, so the upper limit of satellites in orbit is now considered. The Jupiter-3 satellite will be the heaviest satellite in orbit in 2023, 9,200 kilo, and the trend towards increasing mass is expected to continue as current rocket programs are rapidly growing their orbital lift capabilities. Due to this record and trend, the proposed increase of design mass does not present significant challenges. With larger satellites and cargo capacity, solenoids can be scaled up, structures reinforced, and the containers made of much thicker steel to increase the stiffness to resist bending under the applied acceleration. Due to the forces involved, a heavily reinforced and padded design must be investigated and modelled in later research. To achieve 393.25g between four satellites, the force each must contribute is found using Newton's second law, as can be seen in equation 11. This results in an F required of 19.3 meganewton per satellite. To achieve the 19.3 meganewton force applied, MB3SN high-energy pulse solenoids are ideal and are now detailed in a review of current literature. High-energy pulse solenoids. A literature review of the foundational physics and components of high-energy pulse solenoids is presented now to inform the following section's sample design and material limits that it will be assessed against. This review will cover the origins of superconductivity, then the progression of magnet design and operating requirements such as power supply and cooling needs. In 1911, the Dutch physicist H. Kamerlijn Ernst discovered the phenomena of superconductivity the vanishing of electrical resistance in some metals at very low temperatures. The discovery inspired Camelinones to propose a 100,000 Gauss, or 10T, solenoid two years later based on a superconductive coil cooled with liquid helium. Yet it took more than 50 years to realise this design in practice. In 1989, Motokawa et al. at Tohoku University built the first of a series of a new class of magnets that were referred to as repeating pulse magnets, which provided pulsed fields of a few millisecond duration, as high as 25 T once every two seconds. These repetitively pulsed magnets were first built in a solenoid configuration for reliability, and the same design is still in use today. Pioneering design research is now being conducted by many high magnetic field centers around the world which are achieving over 100 T field strengths and striving for second-long pulse lengths, but all still use solenoidal configurations. Particle accelerators have used superconductive components for many years to achieve the required energy densities in size-constrained underground tunnels. The superconductors allow current densities orders of magnitude greater than regular resistance-conducting materials like copper. Initially, Small accelerators use strings of permanently active electromagnets to create a controlled turning path for particle beams. But with development in high-energy pulse electromagnets, 
and their supporting components in the past few decades, this has changed. Development of high-energy pulse solenoids, known as corrector or kicker magnets, has allowed a series of timely pulses to determine a particle beam's direction, reducing accelerated energy costs, and rapidly advancing electromagnetic design and research. The progress in pulse high magnetic field research in the last two decades was driven by multi-coil superconductive solenoid designs and capacitor power systems. The addition of multiple concentric coils each pulsing as the successive outer coils are energized is the key to reaching 100 T fields and beyond. Magnet designers frequently trial improvements on 0.5 meter to 2 meter test coils and a review of papers on small bore coils shows that high field pulses are achievable in a small package. The evolution of lithium capacitor systems is the other key advancement that many facilities have now integrated. Large lithium capacitor banks allow high magnetic field facilities to independently power multi-coil designs to achieve peak fields and operate multiple magnets with minimum downtime or grid disruption. As research has optimized niobium-titanium cables to their material limits, Niobium-tin has seen increased use as the next-generation conductor due to its higher temperature, field strength, and current density capabilities. NB3SN is superconductive below 18.1 Kelvin, with a maximum critical field strength of 25T. If the material exceeds either of these limits, then a quench occurs where superconductivity is lost, and the pulse power must be diverted. Later research has refined the thermodynamic field strength surface that bounds the material's superconductive state, and the field penetration depth as the effect is lost in a quench. The critical surface of powder-in-tube niobium tin wire is shown in Figure 2, with a current density of 3000 amp per millimeter squared for HEPs noted for later use in the sample design. While fabrication advancements have led to the optimization of niobium-titanium cabling, the fundamental design has not changed since its creation at the Rutherford-Appleton Laboratory. The Rutherford cable is the most widely used cable type in accelerator magnets. The Rutherford cable is still used today because it is permeable to liquid coolants due to its braided structure, as shown in Figure 3, and the two layers of fully transposed strands limit non-uniform current distribution within the cable, caused by a cable's self-field and flux linkage between strands. There are three highly stressed sections of a Rutherford cabled pulse solenoid, and they are the copper matrix around the filaments, the epoxy reinforcement, and the cable midplane or coarse strip. The feasibility of fabricating Rutherford cables with internal austenitic steel strips was demonstrated for the rapid cycling synchrotron project at GSI in 2005. Austenitic steel strips provide structural reinforcement, as seen above in figure 3 and also reduce electrical losses from interstrand coupling currents. By placing a 25 micrometer thick, 8 millimeter wide austenitic steel core inside the Rutherford cable for GSI's fast pulse synchrotron SIS-300, the cross resistance in the cable was increased tenfold with respect to the relativistic heavy ion collider cable. Coils designed with thinner wiring and more turns perform better analytically, but this results in the need for a higher voltage power supply. It is more practical to use multi-coils, where a number of coaxial coils are energized independently. Multi-coil design is now generally accepted as the requirement for generating 80 to 100 T fields in non-destructive pulse magnets.
A number of techniques can be applied to design and optimize a magnet for the intended use case. For example, genetic algorithms were used to find the ideal coil configuration of the dipole for the SIS-300 accelerator project. Despite the variety of development and optimization techniques, each design must be constructed as a finite element mesh for numerical modeling to prove and optimize design. A strong coupling of field calculations, thermal simulations and analysis is presented in reference two for solenoids and in references 28, 34 and 59 for Rutherford windings. The thermal, electromagnetic and stress problems are solved on the same finite element mesh for each step. However, fine grain meshing and synergetic behaviors make this computationally expensive. The simplification of finite element geometries delivers model run speed benefits as fewer calculations are necessary. The novel maps concept will be assessed in detail using numerical tools in further research, provided the proposed design meets the force output required and is able to meet the operational requirements of the described superconductive components. With the advance of modeling tools and research, it was determined that the performance of pulse magnets is governed by the ability of the coil material to cope with the Lorentz force and internal heating. The maximum field strength is limited by the power distribution Buzzbar's mechanical strength, while the pulse duration is limited by the power supply and heat capacity of the coil. This requires a rapidly discharged power source and refrigeration system to reduce the heat generated by the electrical input required for each pulse. To address the thermal constraints that limit pulse duration, the use of liquid helium coolant baths is industry standard. During a pulse, coils heat up due to the large amount of electrical energy coursing through the material lattice. To cool them down and prevent a quench or to be ready for the next, pulse requires direct liquid cooling. Liquid helium is preferred for its almost zero viscosity and high specific heat capacity as a phase two liquid beneath 2.17 Kelvin. Beneath the phase two transition surface, liquid helium acts as a solid with almost perfect heat conduction. The lack of viscosity allows the liquid to fill in micrometer gaps to give complete surface coverage of the coil cabling. The removal of air gaps in the cable or its wrapped reinforcement ensures that no sites form thermal stress points for coolant boil off and resulting quench propagation. The heat absorption capacity of the coolant bath is defined by the volume and flow rate, which must be balanced against the input energy heating the coil, in line with its safety systems, i.e. quench heaters. Cooling a superconductive solenoid in first-pass design can be simplified to an energy cost and design volume requirement based on the refrigeration and fluid control components designed at the point of peak current in the coil, just beneath the material's critical current surface. As the optimization of any multi-coil design is strongly related to the available energy supplies for the subcoils, the power storage system is the final component for inspection. Satellite power systems initially used nickel-cadmium technology, and despite the low specific energy of 30 watt-hours per kilogram, these batteries are still used in specific low-earth orbit and geostationary platforms today. In the 1990s, High-powered telecommunication satellite began using nickel metal hydroxide. However, this has shifted to lithium ion since the early 2000s. As shown above, the trend towards lithium power storage technology is mirrored in HMF researchers' increased use of capacitor power supplies for multi-coil HEP systems. 
a number of research-grade chemistry and electrode options are being investigated to improve existing capabilities. However, no transformationally new power storage technology was commercialized successfully since lithium-ion. Advancements in design and materials are being sought to increase the density of power storage and the preservation of capacitance across wider temperature ranges and battery ages. Currently, activated carbon technology presents the highest potential for both, however it is a challenge to manufacture commercially. The proposed satellite power system will thus be based on lithium-ion capacitors, which are industry standard due to their low cost and high reliability. Improvements will be sought from low temperature capacitor chemistries and the growing body of electric vehicle research. Considering these advancements and numerous others in the fields of high energy electromagnets, power storage and satellite design, a sample design is presented in the following section to demonstrate the mechanics of the novel propulsion concept. Several key areas of variance in the literature and analysis results will be highlighted to show the challenges in concept and design development. These variances must be investigated in further research using the described numerical modeling tools. This literature review presents a brief summary of research to date, and the following design and analysis is intended to stimulate further researchers to explore distributed propulsion system designs. Electromagnetic Pulse Propulsion a system of equations must be constructed to find the electromagnetic pulse propulsion potential of the proposed system, giving F generated in the validity algorithm of equation 1. The governing equations that must be solved are G1, or equation 25, which is the circuit equation of two inductively coupled coils to find current, then G2, or equation 26, to find the axial force between the satellite solenoid and the container base. Both equations are a combination of design specifications and derived results which will be explored before results are presented and discussed at the end of this section. To complete the validity algorithm, the following steps are required. 1. Determine the force required by the goal vector, giving F required. 2. Define the satellite mass and design, giving F material limit. Three. To find solenoid configuration, giving inductance L. 4. Determine the two coil system's mutual inductance, M. 5. Determine the current induced in the container base, IE. 6. Determine the force applied to the container base, F generated. And 7. Compare force generated to the force required. The design and limits detailed by the literature review above are presented in a sample coil, though several key components such as power storage system and pulse transformers are not specified as they are commercially protected elements. For the presented single coil solenoid, inductances are found and the force between objects is computed to determine if propulsion is viable. Analysis of the novel propulsion method is presented in ideal conditions that remove many of the considerations of reality such as electrical losses, orbital effects, and power supply system function. Initial simplifications are necessary to demonstrate the multifaceted concept is theoretically sound and analytically functional before introducing the many challenges of reality. Further research and simulating finite element modeling will examine and document the effects of these factors in detail to encourage other researchers. To demonstrate the concept and interactions, 
An iron rod yoked single coil Rutherford cable solenoid is proposed with the measurements in Table 1 and the cross section of Figure 4a. Inductance is both the current creation ability of an object and the influence an electromagnetic field has on another object's surface. The field lines intersect with the conductive metal of the container base or satellite wings and create a circular current around their intercept point. In lower temperatures and more conductive materials, there is less electrical resistance, allowing a greater concentration of field lines through the material lattice, so a greater current is then induced. Inductance of the solenoid must be found first to determine the design's current creation capability in the satellite or shipping container above. The satellite wings or ruggedized base of the shipping container are thick metal components. These parts conduct currents internally and act as equivalent resistance circuits, or ERCs. An ERC is a circular electrical current within a metallic component that can be analyzed as a standard circuit, effectively a single wire loop or pancake coil. The pancake coil ERC is formed by the induced current, which then generates a field of its own in reaction to the applied field against which the resultant field interaction force is calculated. If the field interaction force, F generated, exceeds the force required, F required, to achieve the necessary acceleration of the freight mass, then thrust application and cargo launch on an intercept vector to Mars is a success. To find the current created by the solenoid in the object above ZRC, the self-inductance of each component is found, then used to determine the system's mutual inductance. Comprehensive treatments of solenoid analysis are available in Elwasa, reference 31, and Schimpf, reference 52. However, neither completely addresses the proposed design of an iron nuke superconductive solenoid. In addition to this gap, there is notable variance in the presentation of electromagnetic formula between sources from academic research to foundational engineering textbooks. The following analysis requires a combination of sources to address the design context so the discrepancy between inductance formula must be resolved. As can be seen in equations 12 and 13, the inductance formula do not distinguish between material selection for the coil. They are separated by the treatment of winding shape descriptors and 13's inclusion of mu r due to the paper's focus on the traditional solenoid design where a central yoke rod enhances the magnetic permeability in the center of the coil. The multiplying effect of a conductive material enhancing the inductance of the coil is evident in equation 13, which addresses traditional yoked solenoids, however is absent in 12, which focuses on unyoked superconductive coil windings. These formulas must be demonstrated as equivalent before including the yoke rod's influence. Magnet designers use the Fabry factors alpha and beta to describe the solenoid shape and classify coil design types. The coil radii and length characteristics determine the fabric factors, classifying the proposed solenoid as a thin-walled solenoid. The fabric factors seen in equation 15 and 16 are substituted into equation 12 to equate the self-inductance calculations in 17, then find the difference. Removing the yoke rod's influence, mu r, to focus on the coils of the solenoid alone gives the following equivalence seen in equation 17. The reduction of the comparison to inner radius 
is equivalent to outer radius results in agreement of equation 13 with equation 12 on a coil width of zero, where inner radius equals outer radius. This is acceptable for calculating the plate or satellite above's ERC effects, but results in a significant difference when comparing the self-inductance values of a Rutherford cabled solenoid that has a wide rectangular cross-section. The source of equation 12, OASA, is a study in superconductive magnet design which details the interaction of multiple coil arrangements. Iwasa's formula are more accurate, however, lack discussion of essential Yoakrod's effects, which Schimpf or reference 52 addresses. This second variance in the inductance formula concerns the Yoakrod's enhancement of magnetic permeability within a coil. In equation 13 from Schimpf, mu r is a linear multiplier though this effect reaches a limit once the yoke is saturated, according to reference 51. In quadrupole accelerator magnets with fields well above one tesla, the exterior yoke surrounds the racetrack coils and is a minor field component contributing between 4 to 30%. The enhancement differential from the minor field increase in some sources to a linear multiplier in others is starkly contrasted when considering the relative permeability increases from materials such as high-quality iron where mu r equals 5,000 times the permeability of the vacuum. With the enhancement limitation of material saturation and the design-specific result, mu r is in reality a multifaceted function that's influence can only be determined accurately from numerical modeling. Despite this critical source of variance in the inductance result, noted as key variance 1 or kv1, it is clear that any conductive yoke enhances an electromagnet's inductance, thus current creation, then force applied. Linear inclusion of mu r in equation 12 is presented in equation 18, with the results shown in table 2 below for both yoked and unyoked designs to demonstrate KV1's impact. The yoked solenoid has a notably higher inductance and thus current creation capability, but requires numerical modeling to validate, so the unyoked result will be used in the following analysis. With inductance LS found, the next step towards completing G1 is to determine the two-coil system's mutual inductance, MSE. When both factors are found, G1 can be rearranged to find the induced current, IE, in the container base plate's ERC, as it acts as a single-wire pancake coil. The proposed context can be analysed using Iwasa's assessment of thin-coil solenoid to pancake coil interaction seen in Chapter 3.8.1. There are no material specification factors differentiating superconductive or resistive materials, and the container base plate may later feature coils of either material at ideal radii to maximize the ERC current carrying capability. The interaction is determined by the coil turns and radii as seen below in equation 19. In the proposed context where a cargo plate is suspended above a square array of four satellites, the challenge is defining each solenoid's induced field area of effect and thus inner radius of the ERC pancake coil. The maximum radius of a plate-wide ERC provides an upper bound value, while the lower bound radius value is zero due to the concentration of field lines at the center of the solenoid. The sub-ERCs and plate-wide ERC are identical circuits, however the selected inner radius can have a drastic effect on results. The square plate's overall radius is the upper limit, AE max, but the ERC radius affected by each satellite, AE, is first taken as the length of one side, 
divided by the number of satellites that plate edge rests upon divided in half. While there may be inductive field overlaps or minimal XY field propagation in reality, this theoretical division gives a bound to one satellite's area of effect and a first-pass estimate of the possible size of each sub-ERC when four satellites are present. The array of values between the maximum at AE max and the minimum at the yoke rod radius AEY must be investigated to find the point of maximum applied force. From equations 12 and 15, it is evident that the inner radius has a significant effect on results by substantially increasing the alpha Fabry design factor as values lower. The increase in inner radius has a corresponding result of increasing inductance as seen in equation 13. The coil height is defined by the plate thickness, which can be substituted for wire diameter for a single wire pancake coil to estimate current carrying capacity. The mutual inductance of several pancake coils ERCs being induced in the plate simultaneously is not assessed in this paper, however it is an important element to analyze at later stages to prevent excessive current generation. Mutual inductance is a resultant factor relating the geometry of one coil to another inductive object as their field interaction mutually enhances each other's effects. In the two-coil case considered, there is a small gap between the components, so no material, hence mu r term, is present to enhance the magnetic permeability of the vacuum between the coils. Superconducting quadrupoles, mutual inductance must be tightly controlled at the design stage to prevent unintended influence in the beam control fields. Similarly, in the proposed design context, where maximizing component inductance is the goal, there must be an equal focus on mutual inductance to prevent excessively high currents forming in the shipping container base plate. The detailed equation for mutual inductance, equation 19, incorporates elliptic integrals to assess the interaction between two different winding geometries with radius A at a distance rho from each other. The shipping container rests on top of the satellites as shown above in figures 1 and 4. The distance rho between the upper edge of the solenoid and the ERC is minimal at first, but increases rapidly as force is applied and the container is propelled away from the swarm. The complete elliptic integral result tables of the first, second, and third kind are mathematical standards available online or in numerous textbooks. The table inputs for solenoid and container plate sub-ERC are determined from the moduli equation roots in equation 20, 21, and 22. Iwasa presents the case of two separate, inductively coupled coils in problem 1.2 solution with the circuit analysis shown in equation 23 below. Once inductances are found for all components, equation 23 can be rearranged to find the time-varying current induced in the plate, IP, in amps per second. The traditional substitution of V equals IR is not applicable in the superconductive context giving a simplified circuit analysis, despite creating a number of other concerns in reality, such as cooling or power transformation. Due to superconductors' lack of resistance, the circuit analysis is linearly influenced by the current available from the power supply, which is limited by the transformer throughput to the solenoid and cable wire capacity. This reinforces the need for superconductive components with the highest possible current densities to achieve maximum pulse power.
In Wasser's example 3.53 below is an analytical formulation of the proposed design context and uses only mu0 for calculating force as a result of the inductance, as the two coils in the interaction are considered only in relation to each other in a vacuum. Despite this, the enhancement of current inductance by the yoke rod is again noted. The inputs required in equation 24 include a k-squared term for each coil, but all other terms are identical to the earlier mutual inductance moduli 20, 21, and 22 results. The holistic algorithm and results will be discussed, then radii and indicators of peak force results found. It was to determine the force experienced at the top of the unyoked solenoid when acting against the pancake coil, representing F generated in the validity algorithm as equation 24. With the construction of the force algorithm complete, a range of radii must be inspected to determine the optimal solenoid radius and the resultant peak force ERC radius found for support coil placement. The results in table 4 are the ERC radii peak force locations for increasing solenoid radii at the highest potential current. Comprehensive tables are available separately that present a range of ERC radii for each solenoid radius and demonstrate how the ideal size was determined from trial and error. The most notable feature of the expanded tables is that the peak force ERC radius does not display any other remarkable characteristics. It was thought that at least one factor would also converge to a high or low point at each optimized result, however this did not occur. From this observation it is clear that further research must use numerical modeling tools to find deeper optimization. One trend observed in the results indicates that the ERC peak force radius increases almost linearly relative to increasing solenoid radius. Any ERC radii results exceeding 0.5 meter are considered ideal as intersecting fields provide consistent support under the container base plate. The second factor varied was the solenoid's current. As superconductive components are at their most effective just beneath their critical surface, the NB3SN wires will be operated at 3000 amp each, with a Rutherford cable of 6, 8 or 12 wires being modelled. With an IS of 18, 24 and 36 kiloamp respectively, the figure below shows a force output growing at accelerating rates for higher current values. The optimal result of the selection is the widest radius solenoid at A equals 0.25 meter, cabled with a 12-wire Rutherford cable operating at 36 kiloamp, demonstrating an accelerating rate of force generation as current increases. This design gives a force output of 1.78 meganewton without any yoke influence a result of 9.2% of the 19.3 meganewton force required. This result indicates that a two-ton load could feasibly be propelled with an unyoked solenoid. However, given the earlier discussion of key variance 1 and the multiplicative inductance enhancement of a yoke's relative permeability could be considerably smaller and successfully propel the proposed 20T shipping container towards a destination swarm in Martian orbit. The next part of the validity algorithm that must be addressed is the material limits in the satellite design. The accelerating rate of force output with current and solenoid radius increases must be tempered by the current induced in the container base and the effects of the imparted force on the structure. This analysis is deemed beyond the scope of this paper, as the concept analysis is predicated on ideal conditions, so the structure is assumed to be fit for purpose for now.
Due to the number of factors that influence structural stability, the required analysis must be presented in a dedicated numeric modelling paper. Swarm force distribution will now be inspected to determine if the braking mechanism is conceptually functional and the goal vector can be decomposed throughout the swarm. Goal vector decomposition. Adequate distribution of the force supplied is the final step towards MAPS concept theoretical validation. In the fulcrum model, the first layer applies thrust to the cargo, propelling itself in the opposing direction towards the layer below with equal force. The force transfer to the cargo is maximized by resting the cargo container directly on top of the satellites to minimize the distance rho. So the reactive force applied to the induced field is at its maximum, giving the strongest reaction. The second layer of nine satellites then acts as an electromagnetic inertial braking system to the top layer of four by generating a lower strength pulse with a greater number of satellites to equalize inertia and reduce the layer above's downward momentum while being transferred a smaller reaction rate force per satellite. The lower layers are spaced so that as they pulse in reaction to each layer above its descent, the layers can then compress to absorb the force in the same manner as coils of a spring. As seen from the algorithm above, greater braking force is applied as the layer above approaches the layer below, reducing the distance and resulting in a rapid growth of induced current, reactionary field, and thus F generated. The electromagnetic brake force action reaction requirement is dependent on whether the work done by the pulse wave pushes back against the emitting satellite to affect that satellite's momentum equally. Neither the mutual inductance nor force equation changes when considered from the pancake coil or solenoid's frame of reference, so the result is determined iteratively from each layer's distance to the layer above giving current-induced and reactionary force for each time step. This action-reaction balance is cascaded through the swarm until the final layer, where the consumable fuel thruster is applied to neutralize the greatly reduced momentum remaining. The final thruster-brake capacity is assumed to be ideal and fit for purpose in line with prior discussion of secondary physical components and their limitations. To complete the validity algorithm, it is now assumed that the force is completely transferred through the field interaction and the reactionary forces can be balanced at the swarm's final layer. The resultant figure can then be assessed against manufacturer specifications of existing thruster outputs to confirm functionality and ideal component selection. The first pass mechanics will now be examined for equal force distribution and three layers of braking function. As the top layer of the swarm is a square of 2x2 two two supported by a lower layer of 3x3 three three and so on, the pulsed field from each satellite must be equalized at the layer above's location to present a flat support structure beneath the tethered satellites. Small wing-mounted HEPs allow each satellite to exert an attractive force on the neighbor and hold each layer in tension, acting like a standard steel structural beam or plate, absorbing force in the center and distributing across the supported surface area. The supported maglev field provides the momentum dampening spring compression mechanism and force action-reaction calculations can be presented as simultaneous equations. In the first layer of four satellites, each satellite must contribute 98.31g to cargo speed and represents the peak of a sub-pyramid. This pyramidal support structure cascades through the swarm, with each lower layer of greater satellite numbers requiring sequentially less force to balance the reaction of the layer above. 
Systematic naming of the layer and position allows an array of calculations to be built with each satellite's location referenced and the relative force contribution determined. The top layer is titled L1, and each satellite is numbered horizontally 1 to n in rows from top left to bottom right. Taking each of the four satellites in layer 1 to contribute 100% force output, the decomposition can be simplified and the cargo mass set at 400% of the HEPs propulsion capacity. As each action has an equal and opposite reaction, the thrust applied in cargo propulsion is theoretically reflected in layer 1's movement away from the cargo in the minus z direction, which must be absorbed by the force output of layer 2, a grid of 3x3 satellites. The first layer is then shown as supporting the cargo mass in L0, then the force distribution between layers is inspected. As seen in equation 27, this results in sequential layers supporting 100%, 44%, 25%, and 16% by the time you get to layer 4. In principle, each satellite of the layer beneath must emit an equal pulse to slow the higher layer satellite's momentum evenly, though now the question of mutual inductances and reaction mechanics returns. If the pulse performs the work on the induced field and it is communicated back to the satellite through the field, does the number of interactions, thus ERCs and their mutual inductance, define the reactionary force, or is the delta absorbed by the tethers to maintain layer cohesion? In order to maintain force equilibrium in layer 2, the corner units must support only the corner units of the layer above, while the central unit, L25, supports all four units in layer 1 and the side units each support two units above. This pattern is again repeated in layer 3's support of layer 2. Returning to the equalized force distribution, the potential variance of reactions is now considered. The results of equation 28 indicate a wide variance of force reaction per unit required to maintain equilibrium. A fourfold stronger pulse from the central unit compared to the corner units would place significant strain on the tethers of each layer as the horizontal components of the supporting maglev field are no longer equal. It is not immediately apparent whether the consideration is valid, as the result is dependent on an equal action-reaction relationship from the work done by the pulse to the work done against the satellite body, and the impact of multiple induced fields. Due to these complications and the complexity of the field interactions, the force distribution result is uncertain for now, and will be noted as key variance too, a critical error for detailed research and finite element modeling. Conclusions The results of figure 5 indicate that wider solenoids with higher currents will generate increasingly higher force than smaller, lower current designs. This confirms the idea that superconducting materials are necessary for coil construction and will likely provide a benefit if included in the base of the shipping container, allowing greater currents to be induced, giving higher force results and potentially contain a mass capacity. Two conclusions are now proposed. First, that superconductive solenoids deployed in satellite swarms are capable of generating the required force for efficient, high-mass freight transport between orbits. This conclusion is supported by the 1.78 meganewton result against the 19.3 meganewton requirement when considering the multiplicative enhancement of central yokes as relative permeabilities of common materials range in the thousands. 
This conclusion supports the idea that there will be many smaller optimized designs which can successfully complete the validity algorithm and achieve interorbital freight transport, provided the inertial braking system is validated. The second conclusion is that closer orbital bodies such as the Moon could be used as tests for this system, offsetting the significantly lower transfer speed and resultant F required with higher cargo masses to make use of the system's capabilities. Map swarms would be ideally suited to returning large volumes of high-value ore from lunar mining ventures and ferrying heavy machinery or construction materials where needed. The key variances are sources of potential force enhancement, however their degree of influence is not clear without the use of numerical modelling tools to validate their contributions and limitations. Further research and a dedicated multi-physics finite element model is required to complete the final line of the validity algorithm and verify the impact of the noted key variances of yoke influence and swarm vector application to validate the proposed satellite swarm design. Reaching Mars is achievable today without current technology. The barrier to entry is simply cost. Just as reusable rocket systems are drastically reducing the cost of orbital entry, mass-produced reusable interorbital freight transport satellite swarms could drive down the cost of high-mass freight crossing the void. Establishment of regular freight shipping lanes between orbits will be the connector that enables pioneering crewed missions to commence safely and provide the ongoing support required for humanity to become an interplanetary species. Thank you for listening, and please check out the materials from hashtag Railroad2Mars or hindustries.io. Thanks. Bye.